welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm producer Bill. I'm Ron Swallow. And I'm Ed Greer. And today, we're going to talk about the greatest pet peeves in pop culture. Culture, culture. Uh, these are things that grind our gears when we see them in movies and TV. And we maybe we'll veer a little bit into comics, but mostly movies, TV, pop culture in general. Crap that keeps coming up over and over again that sucks. With the advent of AI and with the advent of all these tech bros going, well, they don't make anything original anyway. I think this is an interesting conversation to have. Not to support their dumb crap uh, that ChatGPT should make generic plots instead of dumb people making generic plots. That's not what we're arguing here. But it is interesting to see, like, how many things are recycled? How many ways are there to show the glowy thing as Bill Maher, who used to be cool to some people, wasn't ever cool to other people? Totally respect both opinions. But he did say that all Marvel movies are about a bunch of assholes pursuing a glowy thing. And that is absolutely correct. And we've talked about that before. It's like a huge trope. It's like, now that's over with. What's mm. the new thing? Well, and I think to that point, I'm almost just sick of seeing superhero origin stories in general. Mm. And like, I don't know that the very concept of an origin story grinds my gears, but one of the things that's getting really insufferable to me, if you look at this new Blue Beetle movie, on the face of it, I don't think it looks like there's anything wrong with it from what I've seen in trailers and the general concept. I don't have anything against those comics, but I have so little interest in seeing that movie, not because it fits in this weird in-between of does it or does it not count for DC, but because I could tell you exactly how that movie plays out from beginning to end because it's an origin story. Yeah, And it's like that kid is going to be a down-on-his-luck kid whose family helps him get through everything, and he stumbles into this uh, great power because it's been smuggled out of the hands of the evil billionaire by somebody who has a conscience. And then for reasons unknown, he gets bonded to the thing that gives him great power and he has to learn how to use it. And they pursue him. And in <laughs> trying to in trying to get away from their pursuit, he becomes more and more adept at using it. And then he discovers why they're pursuing him. And so he takes it upon himself to be a hero and go and defeat the evil person who was trying to control the power to begin with. And in the end, the power of his family gives him the confidence or the will to go and do that. And it's like, that is going to be the movie. And I have seen that too many times. And I, I, it, it's just, there's nothing left for me there. You know, you, you say that, and I hear that, but I might be a mark because I am in the story. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, like, look, you get me, you get me on supportive family. So, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> like, it is frustrating that you can just literally guess what the plot of the movie is going to be. And I guarantee you're right. Oh, yeah. No, you are. And that yeah. is frustrating. And, and maybe there's a, there's another level to it where it's like, I didn't know the plot of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 going into it. But if you were to do, you know, essentially the plot rundown like I just did for that movie, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy get attacked, Rocket Raccoon gets incapacitated. When they try to help him, they realize that, like, his body has some sort of weird... And already, it's like, as I'm describing it, you're going, oh, this is taking a turn. That's like, his body, his body has, like, a serial code. But even if you get to the end of that, the plot description is not really what the movie is. Like, there's so much to discover within, you know, the intricacies of that movie, the, the emotionality of it, and sort of the way it resolves a lot of the character work. 
that it's more than just the plot. And for me, look, again, not to punch on it, but like you look at Blue Beetle and there's not going to be anything for me to discover in that movie. I'm sure of it. I'm 100% sure of it. Like there's not more than what it looks like it's going to be on the surface. And that just, it just kind of sucks. Yeah. And you know why you know that? Um, mm. Because they showed you the whole movie in the trailer. I was just talking about the fact that sometimes when a trailer shows you not a lot, you go, okay, I think this is actually going to be a good movie because mm -hmm. they're literally hiding what this might be about because it's going to be a surprise. And if they put too much in there, you're, you're going to guess the movie. And then I think sometimes when a movie's not that great, they go, uh, let's just tell them what it's about. Well, I mean, that's that's one thing. You know what? I think we've come upon the first of the people's reaction things that mm -hmm. grinds my gears. Oh, okay. Is because I do agree with you, though, that the trailers that are sort of more teasery are usually great, are usually the best ones. But this concept that any modern movie, and I'm talking about modern as in from 1970 fucking two to right now, has not told us the whole movie in in the in the trailer it's it's specious they like always do they yeah, always do always, i yeah. think these days we get a little we get shots from the very end of the movie and shit yeah. which i think maybe is going over the line i do agree with that but they've always been like one man lost it out to Cleopatra, but an army wanted her as well. And, and they show you the fucking chariot wheels and the, and the, but you know, the, you know, all that shit. They do that all the time. So like part of it, I'm kind of mad that we like a have let them keep doing that because that's obviously the most effective trailer way. Mm. Right. They, they do market research. Right. And they do all the focus groups and talk to Jim and Joe public, you know, with their cow print, Moo's on and they fucking <laughs> ask these people what they like and it's that you know what i'm saying those I, really work yeah i i think you're dead on and, and i i do think a lot of nerd hand-wringing about oh they're showing us the whole movie is maybe uh not coming from a totally genuine place because of that but i maybe the other the other side of this equation though is like the first time the jurassic park trailer told you this is going to be a movie where a genius has invented a way to clone dinosaurs and turned it into a theme park and then shit goes wrong and the dinosaurs get loose. The first time you see that in the trailer, you're like, holy shit, I need to see this movie because mm -hmm. I've never seen that before. Yeah. But mm -hmm. by the third and fourth and beyond, you're like, yes, okay, the dinosaurs yeah. are loose. Just real, real quick, I think with the dinosaur movies, they should have had guns in the second movie. That's all I'm saying. They should have just went went ham. You know what I mean? Because like yeah. milking the whole the park keeps being faulty, or we keep going there with no safeguards. Why would anybody do that? All the reasons it they was, gave plot wise would were so dumb and so specious that as we watched those movies, it just got worse and worse. And then they finally did something kind of new, but it was too late. You know what I mean? I don't. But know. And even I don't know. And even that just adhered so much to again the formulaic nature yeah. of the movies, and and. I, I don't even know where the fault in that lies. You know, is it in the audience for lapping up the same old shit? Because Lord knows that those Jurassic World movies made billions, even if it was diminishing returns. I, I don't know, man. I just feel like 
you can't put that all on the trailer companies and you can't even put that all on the studios for regurgitating the same old shit because people do keep going to see it. <laughs> yeah. If it does work, why, why break it? But at the same time, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, I thought everybody was going to fucking die in that movie. Mm. That was a Boy, masterful man. trailer in regards to, yeah. And there were so many scenes where like this person was passed out being carried by another person. This person's passed out. Rockets passed out. Yeah. You're right about that, dude. Yeah, and it felt tricky. I felt tricked, and it's one of the few times I like to be tricked is when yeah. I'm going to go into a movie kind of going, this looks fun, but I don't know what I'm getting into, and let's do this. That's more interesting to me. But maybe that's my specific pet peeve is I want things – I want to be tricked a little more often when it comes to going and seeing this stuff. I think it's an important thing for people to do. So uh, I'd like to see more of that, but I, you're right. We probably won't. Uh, it has been working since the 70s, just like you said. And uh, we'll just continue to see, you know, those, you know, ninjas who were ghosts on surfboards. And then they fight uh, samurais who uh, are fighting for the ocean. Well, that sounds delightful to me. When are they making <laughs> yeah, that? No. Who, who makes that movie? I want to yeah. make that. I want to check that shit out. Ghost, ghost surf ninja Nazis. Something. You know? yeah. I mean, that, I think oh. that's a good example. Ghost oh, surf shit. ninja Nazis. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's how they finally invade the United States. The ghosts surf across. Yep. Yep. Oh. oh shit. Okay. So the ghosts surf across and then they then they and but they and they got those weird boards where like if they pump real hard, they keep going through the <laughs> ocean. You know what I'm like saying? A, like a kite board or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those shits, they got those shits, and then they run aground and they do perfect ninja flips and land in the sand superhero style. Ooh, and then they got, pull down their ninja mask and they all have little Hitler mustaches. Absolutely. <laughs> but here's the thing, here's the thing. They didn't have ninja powers when they started off. They went and stole it from some other ghost ninjas, as white people do. <laughs> they colonized hell and stole yeah. it from the ninjas in hell. Yeah, yeah they I'm went gonna... to they went to little Japan in hell. It was like, hey, y'all, y'all motherfuckers know me, <laughs> Musashi. Y'all know Musashi. Where's where's he at? And then I... they stole the powers. Then they do that. Yeah, I think it sells itself. The Fourth <laughs> Reich. The Fourth Reich will be supernatural and totally tubular. <laughs> oh dude and yeah and some kids who work in a, in a in the last video store are helping the samurai <laughs> it's like oh man Toshiro and fumi is my favorite guy and he's got they've got all like posters and shit of your jimbo on their walls and stuff so they understand the samurai lore enough to help yeah to oh, fight yeah. the ghost ninjas yeah uh, there you go i, I want to watch this movie we just did it how I think we're going to cost us. I think we could sell that to trauma films in an instant. Let those guys do it. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. To get some asylum graphics. Speaking of which, mm. I got to say one thing that grinds my gears and I think it is the in Marvel, the nanoization of everything. And in most movies now, the nanoization of everything. You want a big giant gun to come out of your arm? Well, you know it's going to be done in CG. But Jesus, does it have to just come out of nowhere? Does it have to be so magic looking? Does it have to be? I just imagine some. Just imagine Stan Winston Studio making four stages of an arm, mm. and that are real, 
and you shoot one and you attach the other gears and you shoot another and they twist and lock into place. You shoot another and you kind of layer those shots together. And they're all physical things that are actually spinning and twisting real fucking like mechanisms. And you're filming them to be like, it's like a CG shot. And you could see a real fucking thing that has real fucking heft come out of somebody's shit and like shoot something. That would be sick as fuck. But then it's just this stupid pixel crap. See Suicide Squad, that fucking Aegis Elba's character in there. See every Robert Downey Jr. See the mask after Black Panther 1 and all the rest of the Black Panther stuff, the fucking mm. nano mask. Mm. All of that shit sucks. And it's over-designed, too. I don't even want to talk about the over-design on everybody's costumes. Going back to the primary colors and stuff, just we've, we don't have this Fengali people anymore into thinking we're wearing Hugo Boss. Here comes the Nazis again. Uh, Hugo Boss leather fucking super lined pinstriped all these different cuts and rivets and and braids and all this different crap all these different meshes that's old man fuck that give me wolverine's stupid suit like they're doing in that deadpool movie give me give me that shit but like going back to the nano point no more nano point shit solid regular color uniforms i know the nerds have been saying it for a while why not try it is all i'm saying okay I I, i hear what you're saying no fun uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, as I per think fucking that, usual. No, I'm just kidding. I think there comes I think that comes though from like a certain lazy shorthand. And I'm I'm actually curious how many people actually share your opinion on that, Ed, because to a certain extent, it's just like you know, we can't make them actually put I'm thinking of Black Panther in, in particular, mm-hmm. right? It's like we can't make him actually put the mask on and do it cleanly in one shot. And so, you know, we don't want to have to fumble around with what. So he's now he's got the mask in his hand. Is he just going to carry it as he's running or doing whatever? <laughs> you know, so it's like, eh, just fucking make it, just make it disappear. You know, yeah. and, and I'm kind of with you, but also you think about the mechanics of like, yeah, wait a minute. What, what would happen if it was just a helmet that he had to remove as so you could, or her, or she had to remove so you could see her face. You know, it's it does get a little bit unwieldy, and so yeah, the idea of yeah, it just goes away is kind of better. <laughs> yeah, although you got they when they it. didn't do that, you got that great funny moment in uh, what's the one where he's getting drunk? The Iron Man is it Iron Man two? I guess yeah. Iron Man two. Yeah, he's getting drunk and he has the he has the the part of the helmet up and it just looks hilarious and ridiculous i well, think that shit is very effective i, I thought it was great effective. yeah yeah, I, that's, I, yeah i was thinking more like spider-man and black panther and sort of those later stage ones but iron man is a, is a great exception because his costume already had the retractable helmet it just didn't need to like melt backward it actually had a mechanical yes. element Yes, yeah. and, and I, that's I why feel they like... went to the nano because, just like you said, they were like, yeah. "This is just the easier way to do it." And I think, in general, I don't know if this is a pet peeve or counts as a pot pet peeve because it's not a trope or anything like that. I just would like to see less laziness when it comes to stuff like this. I, I just want to see people take it seriously. I know it's guys in tights doing heroic feats, but like, just uh, take your time, make it look good. You know? Well, I mean, yes, I, I definitely think that making it making it look realistic is sort of a broad pet peeve of things not not quite being up to snuff. 
I mean, I think that's part and parcel, though, to this idea of like, we have to give ourselves as much latitude to change things later as possible. Mm. And so I think that's why you see, you know, specifically Marvel, but even some other Fast and the Furious, you know, even some kind of more more shoddy would-be action franchises. It's like you don't want to have to keep track of vehicles and masks and helmets and all these different elements because like, hey, this thing that we think is going to be the climax may not even be the climax when we get to reshoots. And so it becomes like your movie feels a little bit like sanded, like the rough edges are sanded down because things might change later. Um, and yeah. I know, that, yeah, I know that that language feels overly broad, but I'm I'm even thinking of something like um, Thor Ragnarok, where originally that whole scene with them and Anthony Hopkins in the wheat field wasn't in the movie um, when Hella oh. first appears, and that was like an eleventh hour addition, and it shows right, and they they end up having to like rotoscope all those guys into that scene. And they're changing, like Hella originally appeared somewhere completely different. And so now it's a, a fake background. And, it, and it, it looked like, and maybe I just know this because I also know this for a fact from knowing some of the people on that movie. Like that was something that they were scrambling to even try to get done because the movie was so reshuffled that like the first appearance of Hella ends up happening in a totally different place. And because they had originally shot it practically in a real location, the idea of changing it later became that much tougher. They're like by hand rotoscoping things as opposed to using a a green screen. And so I think that's one in like a series of learning experiences that have caused Marvel in particular to just be like, no, put as much of it on a green screen as possible because you never know when like our climactic battle is going to get pulled up into into act two and we're going to come up with a totally different ending or some such. Um, but doing all that makes it all feel a little bit sterile and fake because you're literally trying to make things interchangeable for when they do their last minute rewrites and reshoots. Yeah, I think that was a perfect dissertation on what we kind of, um, as fans on the outside, no matter how much insider information we think we have, when we really start getting into the nuts and bolts of how these people make these things, words like lazy kind of melt away a little bit. Now, there are things that are definitely lazy in people's character development. You got two motherfucking scenes, but then when you, like what you said, Bill, maybe there was five scenes to make America, let's say, in Multiverse of Madness, learn her powers more so she just just go from zero to 60 in the third act just because she has to for plot contrivance sake maybe there was four or five more scenes but they had to move around because you know the necronomicon or the fucking uh, kate made a dead body sequence cost more time and money than they thought and da, 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 all this different shit so when we when we call these things lazy from the outside it it I can see other people on the inside who are just like I had 14 minutes to do that while I held my baby we're in bankruptcy fuck you you know what I'm saying? I, oh, I well, really if I came across as feel- blaming that lady who has a child in bankruptcy, uh, the, the child's I, in I bankruptcy. The child, <laughs> the child has been so off yeah. his rocker on he that. Not working. That child not is financially irresponsible. Yeah, I and I don't, I don't like him honestly. I wish, uh, I wish she had sold that kid. Fuck that lady. Else. 
Honestly. Hey, she, she um, needs to sell that kid for a better Cintiq. You know what I'm saying? To, that way to, my Spider-Man costume would be better. That's <laughs> what they're – I just don't want to make it seem like that's how we think. So I'm just – Yeah, no, I am, I'm, I am always blaming uh, executives, to be clear, because usually what that type of thing is is literally someone saying, we have to change this, and you got eight minutes to do it. So well, and it's yeah, I don't and, think they should do that. I think they should stop doing that. That's what I'm saying is I don't think executives should be – would, should be doing things like that. And I know it costs a lot of money to make these movies and they're, they're putting a lot on the line and their jobs are in, you know, jeopardy as well. But at the same time, if you're going to make the best product you can, you should take the time to do it and do it right. Well, that's, that's all, saying. that's all a trickle down effect. And, and this might be a big pet peeve for me. The decision to create a cinematic universe, right? What Marvel did sort of inevitably goes down the road that we're talking about. Because at the end of the day, you are committing not only to a release schedule, but like multiple release schedules that have to line up in a certain way for your overarching story to make sense. And so that means all the front-end development where usually you would work through many, many drafts of a script and you would and you would work through the actors rehearsing and their chemistry and everything to make sure that they can actually perform the script really just gets tacked onto the back end and being like, oh shit, we shot it and it's not working. Re-edit it, use a bunch of VFX to cover up the seams and then we'll reshoot whatever we need to reshoot to make it make sense. Yeah. And that's that's just because they're not looking at the movie as like a startup company that we need to bring to marketability. It's like the movie becomes a product and not the whole shebang. Oh, interesting. And you know what I mean? And so yes. I think I think a lot of Hollywood has sort of learned this lesson, even though by all accounts, Warner Brothers has been hot to do it for DC. But I, I just wish that we would take a step back from these five, six year out release schedules that handcuff what your creatives are doing and lock in movies that maybe we're never going to work to begin with. And then creates this scramble to like, Oh, we got to figure it out. So we make our release window so we could set up our next three movies. That's, that's the thing that's really kind of. And also trying to predict the future is a bad idea. You oh, don't yeah. know when there's going to be another pandemic. You don't know when one of your actors is going to turn out to be a psycho who <laughs> stabs somebody or, you know, whatever crazy shit could happen, you know, allegedly. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, I just say and like that making making that far out of plan definitely puts you in danger of not being able to accomplish the plan with as great of a, uh, I don't know, artistic integrity as you might like. So I like that idea, Bill. That's a, that's a great point. Well, I mean, the mm. thing that I that all that all that makes me think about is though, uh, we as nerds, I'll speak for myself. I wanted the sort of comic books on screen. Mm-hmm. I yeah. wanted comic books on screen. We all wanted comic books on screen. But what that actually means in practice is what we're running into right now. Because mm. just like in comic books, 
the first three or four issues, them motherfuckers are a bad motor scooter, ain't they? Yep. They had a bunch of lead time. They was doing good. Yep. The greatest artists and the best writer, the people they could put in the preview magazine are the ones on it. But once you get into the doldrum issues, them 25, 26, all of a sudden, here come these uh, loser jobbers to come in. And they're, they're artists. They're professional artists. But they're not these guys who launched the book, are they? No, that's when you and, get that's when you get the fill-in artists whose like biggest selling point is the fact that he works fast, not that he works well. Exacto mundo, and that that is these TV shows and shit, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, the point <laughs> is, so like once you commit to being comic books on screen, comic books, as we all know, are they're laying the fucking track right before the train. All the time, no matter how much lead time they have, whether it's Adam Hughes or Mark Bagley drawing the motherfucker, mm. they have solicited it. It needs to be done by this time. It's, there's always this pressure all the time. And I think that they've done that to movies. And like you were saying, Bill, if they would just step back and like concentrate on each movie as like almost like how people have been telling publishers to just concentrate on putting the best creatives on short runs that could be put into graphic novels. And that's what your comic book should be. They've kind of adopted that while still trying to maintain continuity. No. Fuck continuity. Just put yeah. your best people on the goddamn books. And in, in regards to movies, just put your best fucking people on the movies and stitch yep. together a little bit later. If somebody makes a movie that goes way against your plan, fuck it. Work it out. You it's, know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting thing because you, what you're really describing is like what Warner Brothers did with Chris Nolan and the Batman movies. And mm -hmm. however you feel about those movies, mm -hmm. wildly successful and yep. very much crafted as like auteur pieces of filmmaking. But it took four years between each subsequent movie. Um, mm -hmm. I guess three years between Batman Begins and the Dark Knight and then four years between the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises. And like makes for great movies just doesn't make for a great, you know, ongoing universe. Yeah. I mean, it did reminds me of, um, of, of thinking about like music when a band's first album drops, there's, they're filled with songs that they literally worked on for 15 years together or 10 mm -hmm. years together. And then their third album has to come out a year after that first album dropped, because now there's a demand. And that album almost every time is a drop off. Just reiterating that I would love to see them take more time doing this stuff. That's it. Just I would like to see it. Please do it. So when you, I know you're not going to listen to me, by the way. Um, well, well, just the developing of stuff to go in yeah. between things that take fucking four years. Batman takes four years. Okay, fine. Where the, what the fuck are Flash and Green Lantern and Wonder Woman doing in the fucking four years? If you're going to go that route, which yes. again with DC, if I was DC, man, I would keep everybody so separate. I'm like the, the fucking hungry man dinners with the different slots and shit. That's what I would do, man. Because Big, like slots in between. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would do it. I would do it like Spider-Man. I would do it like they They've done the Spider-Man where every once in a while you have someone show up Green Lantern and I don't know, Blue Beetle. That's great. They can both make, shapes with their brains you know <laughs> Put it well fair enough i i want to go back to complaining so for pet peeves i'm going to actually yeah. take a hard right turn here Ooh. and this is going to possibly be contrary to everything we've been talking about but in television i'm so sick of eight episode seasons mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so sick of that shit 100 percent. give me a minimum of 13 episodes Listen to the fucking writers who are striking. Guarantee a minimum of 13 episodes. And fucking, if you want to commit to a TV series, 
make the decision and keep the fucking writer's room open. Because giving me eight episodes and then making me wait two years for you to get your shit together and put a second production together sucks ass. TV shows should not work like movies. So everything we want you to do for your movies, stop doing it for your TV shows. Mm -hmm. 100% agree with that. And you you miss out on so many. One of the fun things about uh, doing serial TV, where it's where it's a long form story that you're doing through, in theory, years of the characters' lives, is that you get to do this big arc. And if you do it, you can't do that in eight episodes. You can't do that in sixteen episodes a lot of the time. So, I 100 percent agree. I oh man, Bill, you're just pulling all the gems out because I there's nothing that infuriates me more than watching. What could have been great from Falcon and Winter Soldier, all these things that they could have done that would have been nuanced that they jammed into eight episodes. That well, that one was six, wasn't it? Or, yeah, it was six. It was six. Well, and just and I understand that there was COVID restrictions and stuff, yes, but I true. do I do certainly agree that if under those constrictions they had take they had just acquiesced to them and made the 13 episodes we're talking about. Look at all the stuff that we could have seen with like uh, some of the money that they spent having Falcon fly around. I would love to see that money has been spent on the original Captain America saving all those soldiers and then getting court-martialed and shit. Put some 19, <laughs> f- 19 uh, fucking 30s and 40s grain on the fucking on the screen and shit. Let's wow. get nuts. I would love to have seen that. A nice little action scene of Black Captain America fucking these fools up. The original Captain America. The original man. <laughs> uh, I, all that. I would love to have seen that. But you couldn't fit it in. So they had to just talk about it. And there's so many other things they could have just talked about. That could have broadened out and made that series longer and more fulfilling. And you could have seen more of homegirl slide into madness, maybe, or mm-hmm. they could have put it a plot point about how that super soldier serum that got made is like still kind of a dirty batch and messes your brain up. And that way, you know, everybody who takes it, you could be a great person, but if you take it, you're going to slide down since they want to make bitches reading books, evil in multiple well, of madness. Why can't that- the super soldier serum <laughs> turn your ass around? <laughs> but I was going to, I'm going to say, or the opposite, right? Like, it's it, everything became shorthand in that series because they mm-hmm. just needed to get through it. When yeah. really, like Carly Morgenthau could have been a righteous character caught up in a system that doesn't allow you to be righteous. But it's like they didn't want to actually play, or or maybe they couldn't, given the time restrictions, play that yeah. angle of like having politicians or normal people be characters and actually like playing up an ideological divide it was just nope Mm. her versus the new captain america who's a jackass and then the new captain america steps in the middle to ameliorate the conflict and it's like i don't know man if you have enough story for a series let it be a series and if you only have enough story for a movie make a movie but, you know, making six episodes of a TV show that essentially just feels like a disjointed movie, that just kind of sucks. Um, yeah. Well, they did the opposite by making Armor Wars a movie, which I think was a pretty good call. Now, I don't know yeah. if the movie's going to do all these gangbusters, but uh got a couple of friends that are working on it. And I'm rooting for it because, number one, after the shit that Rhodey's been through with this crap, oh. like Don Cheadle acting in anything good, he'll be like, oh. Oh, this feels like a warm bath. Like if if they do anything good with him and his character and the fact that he's back on the scene 
He has he hasn't been on the scene. Now he's back on the scene, and people are have been while he's in been in his absence from the scroll crap. Uh, people have been stealing Tony's shit and doing really bad stuff, and he has to go collect it up, which Tony used to have to do about every ten years in the comic books. Is people would steal his stuff, start doing bad shit, he would feel sad about it and go out to gather it up. And sometimes there was even the first Armor Wars, he had to beat up other heroes that had his technology. He would just roll up on them and beat their ass and take their shit. Be like, I'm sorry, you know, Nightbird or whatever the fuck your name is. I got to take these jets because these are Tony Stark jets and I don't really trust you and these aren't really licensed. So bye. He made a bunch of enemies in the mercenary community, the villain community and the low level hero community and the people uh, using his suits to guard the people on the raft. I think he took his technology from them or something. All this different shit. It was like the armor wars are are an interesting political and militaristic plot point in the Marvel universe that they're yeah. giving to Rhodey in one contained story that's probably two hours. I much rather I would much rather see that than them drag it out as they did with Secret Invasion. Right, and, and theoretically, like be able to do less as far as realizing the armor on screen and what it can do. And, you know, yes. and, yeah, because they're, they don't have the budget. I, I, I want to get a little bit away from the Marvel pile up though, and just talk about some of the other things that especially Netflix has done um, or even Amazon, right? So like Netflix has stranger things. Amazon does the boys and invincible. Even when Netflix was doing the Marvel shows that weren't, MCU or, or, or studio Marvel studios produced like daredevil. Those are all, everything I just listed are properties. I really love. And I really like watching those shows. However, with stranger things, for example, a lot of time, well, most of the Netflix stuff, even something you go back to like house of cards, which was the first time that Netflix developed this, you know, we're going to have one showrunner who writes the majority of everything. And we may let them bring in a couple other writers to work, but like, we're going to have every script written before we even start rolling on the season. And then you shoot it like a movie. And that's sort of the Netflix model now. And every time they do that, there's such a fucking slump in the middle. It's like, it'll start strong as hell and it'll end strong as hell. But there's always like those two, three episodes in the middle where you're like, God damn, we are just all over the place. I can't keep track because you have so many characters and you it's like you've introduced all these different characters just for the sake of filling time. And like, how's this all going to come together? Maybe with bonus points for Stranger Things season four. I think that that was pretty clean and tight all the way through. But even that, if you look at it, that was nine episodes and two, if not three of those episodes were like movie length. So now you're talking about the equivalent of like 12, 13 episodes and that mm. is long enough to where you can actually pace something and make it feel, you know, satisfying. When you're doing just the eight episodes of standard broadcast length, you know, 40 to 50 minutes, it just lives in that tweener area. It lives in that like, man, you either should have made this tighter to make a movie or give me more of some of this shit so it doesn't feel so fucking scattered. And like, that's that's just where I'm at. So a question for you guys, are there any story things that have been happening that you see happening too consistently in any kind of movie that you're tired of seeing? I feel like there has really been, this is a combination of story and, and production. And I've said it before, but I think we have had a, 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 not a pandemic, an epidemic 
of bad child performances. <laughs> and like, I don't want to come down hard on the kids. Of course. And I, but like, I just think back to movies that may not hold up as movies, but like the kids are doing what the kids needed to do when I was younger. And mm. everything from the Goonies to the Sandlot to Home Alone to everything that Spielberg ever did with kids from E.T. through Jurassic Park, like somehow you're able to find kids who are both precocious enough to withstand the rigors of doing a movie, but also like talented and vulnerable enough to not feel like fucking theater kids putting on jazz hands. And like, I just feel like with notable exceptions, there are a lot too many jazz hand theater kids in movies nowadays. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Huh. Fuck you. Theater kids. <laughs> well, no, I think, and you're, I think dancing. we are, we are raising a generation of over, over actors though, because of the TikTok acting style where like kids are like, hmm, hmm, hmm. and they're doing all this weird shit. And they're just like timing their shit, like one and three animation or like, you know what I'm saying? They're like timing their movements in, in, in animation time and shit like that. It's just like, I don't know. There is, and there's also this weird like paucity of kids who have done anything other than be a kid actor. Like, where's the like, mm, oh. hey, I found this kid letting off M80s and tying them to fucking, you know, tying them right. to other kids in the playground. And he's kind of a rough and tumble kid. Bring him in here. Clean his fucking face off. What's your name, Jed? And he just gives this beautiful performance and he ends up in the fucking Pelican Brief or something. You well, know what yeah, I'm even going back to, um, God, I, the director's name is flying right out of my head. But the guy who did Kids and then later did uh, Larry Clark. Larry, oh, well, oh, no, no, no. Larry uh, Clark. Uh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, but uh, what's his name? Harmony uh, Corinne. Yes. Harmony Corinne and Larry Clark. Yeah. People, like, that used to be an M.O. in the 90s, especially for independent stuff, is like, let's just go find a bunch of fucking gnarly kids somewhere and just give them a script. And, like, I guess that was kind of what happened with that one dude who just sadly died from euphoria. Um, oh, yeah. But like uh, I don't know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just feel like you don't hear about that as much anymore. Yeah. Of like, I think it's because it's gotten very businessy. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. we we both we all live in the Hollywood area and are pursuing the Hollywood dreams, so we see a little bit more of this perhaps than other people do. But uh, I know I have multiple friends who are throwing their kids into acting right now, and they've been training those motherfuckers since day <laughs> one. And, yep, and yeah. I think that that's actually not good. I, I think it's I don't I don't think they've lived enough life to to really like pull out emotions. And you go, you know, like, I mean, you, you go pick up some kid who's just been like living a crazy ass life and maybe he wants to try out acting he, and but he's never done it before. And then you give him a few lessons. You, you teach him how the, the whole thing works, but kind of let them be a kid. Uh, in a moment, then I think you get better results. And instead, there's these overly trained people who are also growing up on TikToks and social media, and it and it gives them a whole different idea of what the the idea of of, of being natural is. So I, I think well, that's yeah, the problem. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say you're kind of you're kind of raising a generation of androids when it's like you're you're. Um, 
your inclination to perform is so cultivated that it's very hard to be natural. Like you kind of yeah. lose track of what natural even means. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, and it becomes like generational what natural is. Like, Cause you remember back in the days they praised Marlon Brando. I'm not going to diss his acting. I'm not some zoomer who's going to diss Marlon Brando, but like Marlon Brando had a very sim- simple, non affected sort of acting style that was still over the top by today's standards. And it just blew them away. It was like, he was so natural to them playing Stanley and fucking uh, a streetcar named desire. He like blew their doors off. He was like the Michael Jordan of acting to them. And Dude, it was a simple naturalism. Those, those were good performances. They were I'm just Brando saying. on the waterfront. Like you shoot that with a fucking modern camera. That movie doesn't lose shit like that. Brando Brando could fucking bring it. Yeah. Back in the days, he definitely could. Okay. Uh, and I I believe that. I'm not saying that. I am just saying actual naturalism blew the, hey, what's going on here? People's socks the fuck off. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, And it's just something that we thought was natural for a while. And then we are kind of now devolving out of the Brando style or the De Niro style even or, or early Pacino style. Now it's like either you're a piece of wood like the fucking rock. Or you get like a, a couple sticks or whatever, but like I don't know where our our um uh our Bogart or somebody is coming from. Just sort of mm-hmm. an ugly fuck who has charisma. That guy's not an actor today. Period. He's just not. He's not going to be an actor so today. He is might that play why somebody's I'm not dad. Is that what you're saying? That's why I, he, he, he might play I'm somebody's dad. Ron, on you are not an ugly fuck, Ron. Come on. <laughs> And you don't have charisma either. There's Dennis hands. Oh my God. Never, never have we proved our point more, but now I really, I really am saying though, the bottom line is this sort of when we're looking at what, what is, what's the thing that grinds your gears. I do think that the turtles movie ameliorated some of those concerns by what we talked about last episode, which was, uh, them recording those kids all in the booth, recording real kids who may have been actor kids, but at least they got to be kids with each other all in the same room. And they seem to inform what they were saying. They weren't being like what an adult would say. They're saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with big and a G. Mm-hmm. And they just start talking about, Hey, what's up? Ock? And they just start doing all this shit that kids do that. No yeah. screenwriter, no 48 year old as screenwriter sitting in their house is ever going to write. And so it adds this infusion of real youthful realism, naturalism into a, a perfectly art directed film. Mm-hmm. And it raises it up, you know, just like something like Spider-Verse, which has also great voice performances uniformly yep. and great sound design uniformly, uh, especially in the first one. And boom, it, that's what it takes. That uh, I, I think, yeah, we should go back to that naturalism that we were talking about from back in the days. I think that's a great example because it puts more of the onus on the production team than it does on the kids. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to seem like I'm coming down hard on kids because look, fuck these kids. Well, I mean, look, let me, let me ride the line here for a second. Yeah. Stranger things in stranger things. There is a great chemistry and all those kids play their roles. Well, but we all know that we have seen other productions featuring some of those same ass kids where they are absolutely fucking insufferable. So it's really about like 
if you're going to find a child actor with some talent, can you create the environment that brings that talent out and makes the most of it? Or are you doing it badly? You know what I mean? And yeah. like that, I think, is more of the issue. Okay, well, real quick, speaking of doing it badly, do you guys agree with me that today we are experiencing a little bit too much um, reference-heavy dialogue in movies? Like, mm-hmm. people in a movie will say, that's some Indiana Jones shit, which was mm-hmm. said in the Transformers movie, and people would be like, oh, man, this shit is like XYZ movie. Oh, it's like, you know... <laughs> I don't know. There's, I just can't stand it. And I guess Tarantino may have uh, started it for the modern era uh, with his, and but Elmore Leonard really started it in his books where his characters in books would talk about movies and pop culture. And that's where Quentin Tarantino got it from and put that novelistic quote unquote approach into movies where characters would talk about stuff as though they weren't in a movie. But man, God damn, I hate it. It takes me out of everything modern now. Anytime I hear something like that, it takes me out. I would agree with you on that. And I mean, I think that is just as simple as like learning some of the wrong lessons from Tarantino where it just becomes instead of, all right, let's focus on characters who actually have a really out of the box personality and talk about really specific shit based on who they are. It's like, okay, let's throw a bunch of like cheeky side references and maybe, Uh. maybe even like, let's lampshade stuff in our movie where we're going to do something cliche, but it's okay because the characters comment on how they've seen it in movies. Yes. And you're, and you're like, motherfucker, like just don't do the cliche thing. Yeah. So that's interesting. Cause at first I, my uh, first instinct was like, I kind of enjoy that stuff uh, as a consumer Ron guy. But um, now that you mentioned it, it, it is one of those things where if it comes from the character's, point of view sure that's great that makes sense but if it's if it is just like hey look at us throwing in these references to make you feel good about a thing you like from the past like because the teenage mutant Ninja turtles did a bunch of um references uh in the movie but it feels like they were relatively fresh for the most part because it was kids talking about kid shit that they would probably talk about if they were existing in that modern world. So it was like, oh, okay, these teenagers are talking about this thing that they do. And that's fine. I also think it works for me. I also think obscurity plays a lot into whether a reference lands. Um, Because a lot of the shit that would come, like I'm actually even thinking, there's a clip I've seen going around on, on Instagram it's this clip from Crimson Tide, which Tarantino famously did rewrites on. And it's Denzel dressing down a, a junior officer and the, about getting into a fight with one of his subordinates. And the guy's like, you know, it started. I said that Jack Kirby's Silver Surfer was the definitive version. And he said Mobius's was. And at first, um, Denzel is looking at him like, what the fuck is this motherfucker talking about? And he's like, son, you are a, you are a senior officer and you need to set an example and blah, blah, blah. And then he finishes the speech by going, even in the face of sub- such abject stupidity, because anyone who reads comic books knows Jack Kirby's Silver Surfer is the only version that matters. <laughs> and like, It's funny, number one, because it's woven into character. Like the scene, the conversation isn't just about that in some random ass way, but also, especially at the time in the 90s, like comparing Jack Kirby to Mobius in a fucking mainstream blockbuster 
is essentially talking about like 15th century French literature. Like nobody watching or a mm-hmm. vanishingly small percentage of the people watching mm-hmm. that movie are going to have any idea what the fuck you're talking about. But yeah. like you throw a reference to fucking Raiders of the Lost Ark in a movie now. Again, it's not that it's lazy. It, it's just like you're not doing anything clever, right? Like it's clever right. if you have some specific knowledge of something so obscure that only like a diehard is going to understand it versus, hey, everybody in the world has seen this movie. So let's reference that. Like it's just not clever. Okay. That Dude, actually oh, makes a lot. Yeah. yeah that, and I think that also goes to uh, character again, because what, mm-hmm. they, what we mm-hmm. were just told right there is those three dudes have been in, in army bases reading comic books for the last however many years, gathering that information. And that's part of who those guys are. Mm-hmm. And, and it really gives you an idea of what's going on for those three people. There are these weird nerds who are also military guys. Yeah, you're right. The obscurity thing is the key. The character thing is the key. Cause I saw another example that I really hated uh, Brian Tyree's character and uh, Tyree Henry or whatever's character in mm. that shit ass movie with the train. It bullet was like, train. Bullet train. So fucking bullet train. Th- it's a bunch of killers on a bullet train. How you fuck that up? Well, let me tell you. You have too many fucking characters and they all suck. And because there's so many of them, you have to have them have these super outsized quirks so that you remember them and their stupid gimmicks. Even though the movie's going to do all kind of weird shit introducing each of these characters. His character had a thing for Thomas the Train. And he would compare everybody's everybody he ran into's like character, however they acted. He would go, hmm, you're a such and such character from Thomas the Train, or you're a Thomas, or you're a this. And he would break them down psychologically talking about fucking Thomas the Train. And it was such a stupid ass facile attempt to try to give him a little bit of that, you know, I won't even reference Pulp Fiction. This is three, four, five generations away from that. So like, just to give him some sort of yippee kaye motherfucker, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Some lineage like that to where he's, this guy lives in a pop culture world. He's adapting it for his present circumstance out of context you know he's an immense danger talk about silly shit that's good that's inherently good Mm -hmm. but they find a way to fuck it up and dude it was just so many so many things that are um uh just these weird tropes of how also brad pitt talked to a lady on the phone like homeboy from gross point blank Mm -hmm. so when you're like shooting guys is another one of my pet peeves i'm on a roll the, when you're shooting guys and talk to somebody, well, we should go on a date with the data. They did it at a couple of Marvel movies. We don't talk about those, but like a lot of movies have adopted this shoot a motherfucker. Yeah. So you're going to go out on a date with Cheryl. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, the, you know, and they're in this immense danger and they're shooting people and they're talking about a date or they're talking about something cute on the phone with the guys at base. Stop it, man. Mm-hmm. I know nobody in the fucking CIA on an active mission behind enemy lines is doing no shit okay. like that. It okay. sucks. It does suck. And I got to say, you just brought up one that I think I need to stop hearing. And maybe it's just a line and maybe it's just a trope, but it's just a Tuesday. That's what I need to stop hearing. Anytime you're in danger and some shit happens and then everybody's like, oh, my God, this crazy thing happened to you. And it's like, "Ah, it's just another Tuesday for me. I don't fucking I don't need it anymore. I'm good. I'm good. I don't need it. Dude, oh, and when Gal Gadot is in some shit ass uh, Red Notice ass spy movie that's oh, going to be on God. Netflix, and she says some shit like, uh, "I'm the one that call when it's all fucked up or whatever." whatever yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I'm the one that call when it's all, all hope is lost or some shit. I'm like, bitch, 
please stop it. It's not that you're a chick or whatever. It's that yeah. that's stupid. That would be stupid coming from Chris Hemsworth. That'd be stupid coming from anybody. That's so stupid. Stop that's doing the guy that. who calls the guy. Dude, well, dude, yeah, John whatever. Wick never says no cool, tough guy shit. He'll say something like, I'll kill them all or something. But he never says no, I am the thief of the night who blah, blah. Other people say that about you. You can't give yourself a fucking nickname. It's also such a lazy shorthand for it's like everybody knows the CIA, but when the CIA is in over their head, we've got another organization waiting in the background. <laughs> Dude, that, like, that'd be a funny sliding doors. It's like you go back like the CIA, behind the CIA is the da da da, and then the Mission Impossible Force, and then the Mission Impossible Force, all the walls fly, and Ethan Hunt's like, "What the fuck?" Uh-huh. And he's totally shocked. And there's another thing, and it's then there's Gal Gadot behind him. Yeah. Yeah, Gil Gadot, obviously. and then it's the Transformers and G.I. Joe, and Gil Gadot's like, what the fuck? He's transforming! Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just and at, a, at a certain point, you're like, why are they taking all of their best people and putting them behind, like, five firewalls? Why don't they just <laughs> put them in the first organization? <laughs> yeah. Dude, yes, that's why, honestly, bro, that is why, for me, the way you do G.I. Joe, here you go, free Hasbro. The G.I. Joes are not a secret organization of anything. You create a world where that is the military. Yep. The military is the best guy with a big gun, a dude with a hat and a whip, a fucking ninja. That's the army in this world. If you, if you go up for the it's G.I. Joes and you world. fail. It's a whole yeah. separate world. Yeah, yeah. If you go up for the G.I. Joes and you fail, you get to be those motherfuckers with the green on that would support them sometimes. But <laughs> other than that, the, the army is – yeah, the army is 3,000 motherfuckers who all got a gimmick. <laughs> that, that's it. I <laughs> love that. Dude, just imagine you're the fucking Taliban and you're facing off your ear and your Toyota Tacoma rolling around shooting people with a minigun and across the field runs a guy with a dog and a bazooka, a guy with a wolf, <laughs> a Native American with an eagle, a guy with no shoes on, a shuriken <laughs> around his chest, and they're running at you full board. <laughs> <laughs> you're actually taking some of your guys out. You're like, what the fuck the is fuck going is on? Happening? Yeah. They don't even have guns. <laughs> See, all this is making me do is imagine G.I. Joe is actually just the hallucination of the army testing weaponized mushrooms or something. <laughs> they drop a bomb and suddenly the enemy is just seeing ninjas and fucking wolves and all. <laughs> Oh, shit. Dude, it's a co- it's a combination. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, what's that shit? A combination chemical warfare and psyop. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. The GI okay. Joe's never existed. It was all in your head. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, oh, okay so That's I got another another pet peeve. Maybe this is a small thing, <laughs> but um, can we work on how to leave rooms for people in TV shows? Like how to end scenes? Because literally. I'd say 85% of scenes just end with, I've got to go. And then they just like go. They're like in the middle of like a gargantuan fight where they're disagreeing (laughs) on something huge. And then they're just like, I must leave now. And then just fucking walk out the door. And that's the end of the scene. And like, I don't, I don't like it. I don't think anybody's ever ended a fight like that. Can everybody who writes work on ending scenes, please? It's always consider best practices to come into a scene as late as possible and leave as early as possible, right? So the time of somebody just turning and walking out the door is wasted time. But 
if you're at a point where it's like, ooh, we've got some juicy conflict in this scene, and I don't know how we're going to get to the next scene, then yeah, just have someone state, I'm running late, and then leave. <laughs> because then you actually don't have to like turn the scene. You just let it be. Plus, you know, if you're doing something for lowest common denominator audiences, it's like, well, how the fuck are they going to know how, how we got from there to there? He needs to say he's going to take the train, you know, as opposed to just cutting from here to there. Yeah, there's a weird yeah. fake rush to almost all modern productions now when you really and I trace it back to fucking um, Law and Order, because like you remember in Law and Order, they had to keep this camera moving so much. And most of the scenes were, or at least keep the scenes moving so fast that even when they would t- talk to some grocer who was who was like a, like a, a suspect for a murder, he'd be like bag of groceries and shit, man, I don't know what y'all motherfuckers talk about bag of these groceries and shit. I can't stop bag of groceries to talk to the fucking cops or yeah. like they'll go to, the, to an art dealer who who hit a bitch in the head with a hammer and they're like uh and he's like oh i gotta fill out these orders uh you can talk to the lady at the front desk i'll see you on your way out it's like you have two detectives at your job you know what is that busy it's yeah, so funny you can yeah. pause and stop stop talk to these guys that's yeah that's definitely a bad trope i've got i've got a a real beef against um antagonists or villains who are right, they just go too far. Oh, yeah, I was going to bring that up with Carly. What, what is, what's her name? Because they didn't get, yeah. th- there wasn't enough time for her to go bad naturally or, like you said, be a just character who got wrapped up in too much shit. Like, and her justness is what gets her killed, maybe, if you want to kill off the character at all. Right. That whole situation, there wasn't enough time for that. So she had to be like, fuck them people in that in that building. I'll blow them up. Just like Killmonger had to choke out that them broads over next to the fucking plants and shit and burn up the plants. It was like, this motherfucker, we, we was with him even when he killed his chick. But when he choked up the old, elder black ladies who didn't do nothing and burnt up the damn herb, everybody was like, oh, he went too far. And that was the way we got out of the fact that he was quote unquote right. Yeah. I I just think that, well, number one, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 really whet my appetite for villains who are just bastards. You know, like, let's Mm -hmm. go back to that a little bit. Like villains who just have totally selfish motivations or villains who just like fucking hate people. Like the high evolutionary, it wasn't just that he was capricious. Like he had the opinion that human humans were fine, but also kind of gross and like weren't weren't as good as life could be. And he just thought, I'm fucking smart enough and powerful enough to decide how life should be. And mm-hmm. like it just made him a bastard. And like, I'm so sick of man, you reason your way through to a completely justifiable position, and you are really like living in the nuance of of you know, how the world works and, you know, you just got to stop murdering people, but otherwise you're cool. (laughs) I like, I just, I'm those villains. There's nothing inherently wrong with them, but it just feels like we've had villains like that for a, for a while now. And it's a very convenient way to like interrogate competing ideologies in your script without being totally black and white about it because, Oh, the villains got a point. But like, we need to we need to diversify our villains again. Go back to your Hans Gruber, who's just an asshole who wants to get rich, and he's gonna fucking lie to you about what he's doing so he can get rich. Or the High Evolutionary, who's just a fucking asshole who thinks he knows better. I, 
I, I want to see some real bastard villains again. Well, and can we speak to why that's an accurate thing? Because uh, they exist. Because people. people suck. <laughs> yeah, there are people who are the fucking worst. And they like to see other people suffer. And they try to do mean things to people so that they can have power and be rich. That has happened through history consistently. And to have them as bad guys makes total sense. And it's also fun when they get the shit kicked out of them. It's a great moment because you're. it's very cathartic to see scumbags get beat up and lose. Oh, well, that that gets me to, though, one thing uh, I really don't like about how fans react to media these days is when you depict somebody truly as evil as people might need to be to be, you know, really uh, interesting. Well, then you're co-signing that behavior, according to 57 blogs, oh, according uh, to yeah. all the fucking Twitter sphere. You've so you have a certain axe happen to anybody in a movie. You are endorsing that act all across the world, and you're a this, this, and this, and a that, and this, and it's like, bro, we need to get back to being able to depict evil because we're gonna have this sanitized, uh, uh, sanitized world of media where we pretend that horrible stuff doesn't happen. So when people, so people be hella shocked with it in real life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying that movies should be instructive of the real life or anything like that, but if they don't resemble real life at all, there is no inherent drama. I refuse to believe that we would be watching all this, you know, um, you know, neuromancer holographic, nothing's happening bullshit instead of real people. You know what I'm saying? I think we get off on the fact that it's real people in these outlandish, dangerous quote unquote situations of both, uh, mental and physical strife. And, you know, them climbing their goals and shit, it, it has a real import if they're really doing it. And if we sanitize everything, we're ruining that aspect of cinema. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, I think also, again, I'm just going to go back to the accuracy. You know, there's right now there is about 2,000 active serial killers. And I'm going to tell you a secret. Um, serial killing is bad. They're bad guys. And they exist. See, I thought you were going to say, I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm one of them. I, <laughs> I thought you were gonna tell us. I thought you were gonna tell us the secret was, and the and there's two thousand and what nineteen hundred ninety nine of them. Cops have no leads at all. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like that's none. just that's just that facts. actually is also true. Yeah, uh, of the they they they're doing better, but they definitely don't have a lot of leads on people because like there's a lot of information out there on how to avoid the fucking cops. <laughs> Um, There's also a lot of incompetent cops. So really, it's, you know, that candle is burned at both it's a, ends. It's a giant it's a perfect, combination. It's a perfect storm. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> but no, but like I said, th this whole like uh, people reacting to media weird, I think we could delve into that just a tiny bit. I do believe the last couple of um, uh, movies that uh, I think it's interesting, the movies that don't provoke any actual political conversation. I think that's interesting because it's like, like obviously something like mission impossible doesn't provoke that. I don't really think the turtles or something like that provokes that, but then Oppenheimer and Barbie provoke that when they do the Napoleon movie, I think it'll provoke that with the way that people see history now. And like, and when Hulk Hogan, the Chris Hemsworth and them are doing a Hulk Hogan movie, mm. uh, some other motherfuckers are doing a Von Erichs movie. Both of those are wrestling tales about people who are alternatively racist and weird and alcoholic and fucked up, mm. but they're also these giant Nordic giants of wrestling. White people will go see those movies regardless of what those people did. 
And I think I might sneak in. I'll do like Eddie Murphy in that old SNL sketch. I put, put some white on my face and go be a real American. Watch the Hulk Hogan biopic. Yeah, put those roids in your ass, brother. Dude, Get those if, pythons. I'll put on a cowboy hat and go with you. If the Hulk Hogan biopic is is in any way glowing. Like, that's yeah. some bullshit. Because yes. that, dude, that dude was a great showman and was in no other way great. Like... Dude, right yeah. down to the fact that he has been a uh, a linchpin in the corporate crackdown of free speech going back to the Gawker stuff. So, mm-hmm. like, I I don't know how you're going to try to portray Hulk Hogan as the hero <laughs> of his biopic. <laughs> oh, anyway, maybe that's the thing. Hor- horrible people biopics. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get a lot more of them. Well, I don't. I mean, like, we're definitely. <laughs> If we get a lot more of them, they're not going to be done as well. But like Oppenheimer, I thought was a really interesting movie in that he was 100% the protagonist, the hero, the point of view character. But they did not in any way shy away from the fact that like this dude was fucking haunted by what he did and also didn't shy away from the fact that despite him being haunted by what he did, he also never copped to being responsible for it in any sort of public way. Like that was sort of a linchpin of the story of the movie. Um, and I think to your point, Ed, you know, it's the movies that try to overtly, well, I I shouldn't even say that. I mean, I, maybe it's just the movies that try to overtly make a point. It almost becomes like, it doesn't matter if the point is true or not, because like Barbie's a great example of there ain't one fucking bad take in Barbie. I'm sorry, there's just not. But people can fucking foist their, what they want to perceive as oppression on that movie. So if you are concerned about society is turning anti-male and society hates men, suddenly Barbie is the movie that's making society hate men. When really the entire takeaway of Barbie is that systems of oppression are invisible And like the people who are being oppressed often can't break that cycle by just by just being good people. Like you need to do something else in order to break the cycle. And like it can apply to anyone in any circumstance. I don't know, man. I just feel like the movies themselves i think are less egregious about it than are people who want to weaponize movies for their own political talking points yeah hmm. I, I guess that's a little bit of a pet peeve is i i would i'm tired of people the audience turning something more political than it needs to be like obviously barbie has a political statement mm-hmm. but it's a big Some, leap from there to like male genocide or something like yeah, a lot of these motherfuckers yeah, are trying to right. talk. Yeah. And on top of that, like one of the things that I love to do is when someone's talking about white people doing some bad shit, I read what that bad shit is and I go, Hey, have I ever done something like that? No. Great. And then I move on and don't take it personally because that means I'm not part of the, what that person is talking about. And if I'm part of the group, I might even take a moment and go, huh, do I do that to people and -hmm. think of it as like a and and what I I guess what I'm saying is uh, and maybe I'm just preaching to the choir because most likely anybody who listens to our podcast are people who are at least somewhat like minded. Um, I don't know. 
start looking at this stuff and taking things a little less personally. Um, no one's trying to be anti-man like at all for the most part because uh, you know men exist. Uh, you know what they are anti though anti bad men. Mm-hmm. So so maybe work on being a good man. Well, I think people have a real knee-jerk reaction to like, nobody tells me what a good man is, except the Bible. You know, it's like... <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a great yeah. point. Well, dude, I, I, I am really fucking tired of people being like, uh, I hate the politics in this show or that show. Ugh. That's why I'm unfollowing. Or that's what, you know, or, or this thing or that thing that you do, or like, this guy, Shay Serrano, he writes books and he writes for The Ringer and stuff. And uh, he, I don't know, he said some stuff like, you know, he's very anti, you know, uh, border enforcement stuff that's like, you know, just like mines and giant floaties with razors on them and shit. He's like, oh, that's bad. And somebody Mm -hmm. goes, you know what? I got to unfollow you because you're just injecting politics in here. And it's just like, because I don't want (laughs) swimming kids to get razored up trying to come over here and do shit (laughs) and pick lettuce or whatever. You know, come on. I mean, like this goes back to our fucking Overton window conversation, though, where, you know, even to take it away from people with like having express political opinions like patriarchy, right? The, the, the Barbie movie both makes fun of patriarchy and doesn't like it takes it seriously as a thing, but also kind of skewers it as like, Oh, it's this idea. That's just sort of like this nebulous thing. But I don't know. I I guess my point being patriarchy does exist. Like just by virtue of the fact that most leadership positions in most organizations in the entire world are filled by men. That's enough to tell you patriarchy exists plus other shit that comes with that. So we live in a time, however, where just making the statement that a patriarchy exists in our culture is somehow a politically divisive statement (laughs) where it's like, to me, that is just no that is just a statement of fact and somebody has applied a name to that group of facts but yeah. other people are going to be like no motherfucker like that's your political opinion and that's the divide that i don't know how to breach i mean it's the same thing with disney pretty much everything disney does i think these people really target disney but it's like making the little mermaid black is not a political statement except for the fact that like Disney takes pride in, Hey, it's a black lead, but like a mermaid being black is not a political statement. And yet people really want it to be so that they can fucking get up in arms about it. It's like, they're mad about snow white. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, that's the whole white. Wait, wait, wait. This is Latina or something. She is, but that the actress who plays Snow White has gone on record in some interview of saying that she never liked the original story of Snow White because Snow White was so passive. Like, she runs away, the dwarves take care of her, then she falls under the witch's spell, and, like, the dwarves and the huntsmen are the ones who who fight against the witch. So Snow White was just sort of like this passive character in her own movies. There, being hot, getting a boyfriend. Which, by the way, is another statement of fact, but now it's like, not only is she Latina, but she's fucking 
dissing Snow White, which apparently is like some horrible crime. I mean, oh, like, that's the, oh, yeah, dude. Hold on, dude, here we go. We're gonna roll. We go, as wow, we roll down here, we're rolling gymnastics. these, dude. We're rolling all oh. these into each other. The motherfuckers who pretend that they were a fan of some shit, super oh. hardcore, oh, all yeah, of a sudden that. out the woodworks, like, are oh, you ruined Taskmaster, bitch? Please, you never read Taskmaster. <laughs> you ruined Adam Warlock. I could see those people being mad that he wasn't some stoic guardian of the guardian of the universe. That's funny. Uh, you know, uh, it's fighting Thanos on his level and shit. But in the aggregate, they made Adam Warlock like Drax Destroyer was in the comics. That was the most comic booky thing they could have did to the motherfucker, actually. So I, I, it's just so funny to me people's react. But yes, this. I love Snow White. I loved how passive she was. I think it's cool that she was napping and a dude kissed her awake. I think that's cool. And it's just like, what if you examine that, what politics are you endorsing? What politics are you endorsing if you need that? If you think that somebody who is anti that is fucked up. You know what I mean? And they politics. won't. I believe it's yeah, yeah. I want my I bitches in a blade, So I want to <laughs> kiss a girl that's asleep. Dude, but I want to. I want. I want a bitches in a box service installed in my forest. <laughs> but uh, but really, all it is like they don't even think about it that hard. All it is is anti politics, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, this person that I that I don't like anyway is saying some shit I don't like, and so I'm going to be against that. It's yep. like, well, it's not that I'm for you know a story about a woman who gets you know, trapped in a box and saved by a bunch of dwarves. I, you know, it's just this whole knee jerk. Like I can be upset about this. So I'm going to be, you know? Well, I mean, okay. Well, I, as I, I can play white devil's advocate real quick. Uh, Sometimes I like to do it, but like, I don't think it's that devilish to say, how about just do it? Because that's one of the main things that these motherfuckers always be talking about is that the left so-called virtue signals. Now, on this show, we have broken down that virtual signaling is not real, and these people have just made up something for being a good person. However, one thing that could be, by their definition, called that is going, look at me do this. It's not the same. It's like, okay. That's it's fair. part of the, it's, but, but, it, but my only counter to that is it's part of the marketing of the movie. Yep. Right. Because pe- women of today may not be that super fucking interested in the adventures of a sleepy bitch. They might want to be <laughs> active in the right. story. So yep. that's why she's able to even say that to reveal that plot point. You know what I'm saying? Or that set of plot points that she's going to be more active in the story. That's part of the agenda. I'm not saying the agenda in a bad conspiracy theory way. The agenda of selling the movie. Right. So that's what people are like balking at, I guess, is that their so-called virtue signaling by saying that the old one was deficient in these areas. It seems to be in their minds an attack on so-called classicism, which it's so interesting that classicism is always stuff made by old white people. That's Mm -hmm. what every fucking classic thing that these people recognize as classic is just some old white people shit. So anytime we improve upon it or change it on any level, it's attacking whiteness. It's almost like if you attack racism, people think you're attacking America. Right. If you attack well, classicism, yeah. people think you're attacking white people. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like Western values in these contexts are really just a code for white supremacy, right? Like yeah. it's it's just language games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I don't know how we get that out of our movies, I, and I don't want to. At the same time, it's it's one of those conundrums because I would sure love to not have to see racist people being racist, but. That's just gonna happen and it's just gonna exist. And well, I think 
Go ahead. I, I mean, I this is complicated, and and taking some of Ed's White Devil's Advocate to its logical conclusion, because Disney has decided to go all in on just remaking shit, and that's all they're doing, yeah. they need a hook to justify why they're doing that. That's and true. so the hook then becomes oh, we're becoming we're more progressive with our inclusion and, you know, our, our, our diversity and what have you. And ultimately that, and I'm going to say this pejoratively, like that's all a lot of these movies have going for them. Mm. Again, take that to mean it is good that they are becoming more diverse. 100%. But the fact is they shouldn't be staking their entire market value on just remaking all this shit to begin with. Yeah. So it's like, if they were just going the route of like, hey, Pixar made Coco, and Coco is a great Latino story from a Latino point of view, and you can infuse the shit out of that into the marketing because that's just what it is. What it is. That's cool. But the fact that like, hey, we need to make Snow White, but do we need to make Snow White? No, we just know that it's a sure bet because people know and like the name Snow White. But hey, let's try to goose our marketing with our casting choices. That's where we get into this weird fuzzy area of like, yeah, of like, well, they're virtue signaling or, oh, you know, they don't have to do this. Well, of course, they don't fucking have to do it. But it's like, mm -hmm. you know, and, yeah, and why do they have to do it the old way either? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and the other thing is like. They like every once in a while, these guys love to be business minded a lot of times, right? A lot of mm -hmm. conservatives. I'm very business minded. Yeah. I'm business minded. Are you? Because guess go what? Go There's broke. a lot of fucking Latinos. <laughs> and these Latinos would sure love to watch movies with fucking Latinos in them. So right. I mean, it's just it's just a literally a way to make money because guess what? There's gonna be some white people in that story too. And then mm -hmm. there's going to be a bunch of white people that want to support their Latino friends and Latino actors. We're going to show up to that movie and they're going to make a bunch of fucking money. That's just how that shit works. And ironically, people will go to it with no politics at all. Yep. Well, right. Well, and ultimately, that is what you should understand is these movies are made for children. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> when parents show up with their seven year olds to see Snow White, unless they're great, I'm going to just say it, unless they're crazy right wingers. Uh, they're not going to be going. Now, what you need to understand is this movie is, go is trying to indoctrinate you into a way of thinking about the world and blah, blah, blah. No, you just show up and enjoy the story and enjoy the characters. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so as, we, that. <laughs> so as we round out here, are there any last uh, peeves that are like, okay, dude, this is serious business. Cause I was the one that I choked on earlier. I was going to talk about the, the like white savior movies, but they really have done a good job of stopping that. What they've replaced them with is uh, especially for uh Sam, not Sam Worthington, Sam Rockwell is this character that's sort of racist for a while. And then they just sort of snap out of it because either they get some black <laughs> pussy or they read a book or something happens. And all of a sudden these motherfuckers is dancing and all this hot shit. That shit. Oh, my fucking God. Can we please just go back to motherfuckers being racist till they die? Because that's what my grandpa did. That's what your grandpa did. <laughs> Let's stop this bullshit of everybody changing. Okay. I don't like it. It's not yeah. realistic. Yeah, that is the it's most conservative cool. thing you've ever said. I, I don't I like the change. Good. There's no character arc. People are evil. They stay evil. That's it. 
They I mean, don't not. Yeah, but you're not at wrong. Least some I, people in the story have to, and I just don't understand this. Like, I think it is. I frankly think it is the left because I think a lot of people on the left would like to believe that, given enough education and exposure, people will change how they are, and that's so stupid. The number yeah. of people who will change how they are is directly commensurate to how good a time they have and how accepting they are of other people. And how good their experiences are when they do that. Period. And, That's and it. That's the only determining factor. A hundred percent. And let's talk about like the fact that like I was kind of dumb about like gay people when I was young, but I never had any hate on for gay people. And I wasn't raised in a place that, you know, my parents weren't like hateful people. So as soon as someone educated me about a little more nuance, I learned a little bit of nuance. But there was I never was coming anything hateful in the first place. So the change I had was minuscule in, in, in general, just because literally all it was, was educating me on a, a little bit of uh, ignorance, not like actual hateful ignorance, not deprogramming is, and shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and, and it's, yeah. I, I think there's, I think there's a storytelling cynicism to this as well, because ultimately mm-hmm. what that is, is the writer inserting a character who goes through the change that the writer wants the movie to instill in an audience. Yes. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And like that, that's just kind of weirdly self-indulgent maybe. Well, dude, there's just these different things. Like, I mean, like I said, this is my opportunity soapbox. I'm sorry. That fucking green book bullshit. Yeah, the yeah, fucking yeah. concept that that white dude taught homeboy how to eat fried chicken or something and that uh he had never this guy that he that he got him back with his family or something I never saw the movie but the, there's a bunch of conceits in there where the guy is basically helping this guy out who is a fucking employer but this guy's whiteness and virtuosity helps this black guy to make certain connections with his family to to make more connections with his own people to him educating this white guy gets him closer to his own black people because he's sort of an erudite well-off guy who kind of is trying to respectability politics his way out of being black to a certain degree that's kind of how it's portrayed in the movie and it's just like and like the shit like the blind side the shit's coming up on twitter so it's in my fresh in my brain but yeah these motherfuckers stole this guy's life story made like millions and millions. They bought 114 fast food franchises with the money they made off this guy. The movie comes out, depicts him as mentally deficient and needing these white people to help him do something. Meanwhile, he was actually gifted and was already well on his way to being a pro football player. And these motherfuckers jumped on like the agents they actually are and pimped him. And, and they, what the fuck, man? It's like the, the, the license to do that shit in movies has been there for a while and it's it it was renewed as late as what 2016 2017 whenever that green book shit won them it's not like it's going all the way away you know what i'm saying it's just weird there's one in that realm that i think i also want to get uh want to get rid of and i think it's actually starting to be gone uh romantic comedies where the lead um the male lead is a giant piece of shit (laughs) <laughs> the whole time and then just ends up with the girl at the end and he like does two things to suddenly change i guess this is also the same thing as yours because he suddenly becomes a better person at the end even though he has been horrible the entire fucking time and has no like redeeming factors to him at all so you're talking about knocked up 
basically. <laughs> I mean, kind of, yeah. Or like, say anything. I mean, this, yeah, is, this is tons old, of movies where trope. everybody's yeah, where they're just a piece of shit, and then they get to they get the hot, cool girl who's like nice and like supportive and kind of a good person and very hot, and they're kind of a schleppy asshole. Maybe they're good looking because it is Hollywood, but they have nothing else going for them, and then they get the they get the they they get the girl, and I just think that's. Uh, a trash ass concept. I mean, sure. Is it realistic? Maybe. Um, no, I'm just yeah. I, mean, <laughs> well, I mean, it's realistic for girls 20 to like 25, maybe. I think like maybe. between like 17 to 25, they will get on your fucking futon or your air mattress and fuck the shit out of you and occasionally bang their head against your skateboard. But uh, past that age, I don't really think that they're fucking with the type of guys in some of these rom-coms. Well, I think I, I was going to say, I think there's a certain fantasy to both sides of that equation that like meeting the right person will inspire you to get your shit in order. And like, you know, and I think, I think a lot of guys end up, you know, waiting for lightning to strike. And like, that's the moment when they go from being a douche to being a responsible man. And a lot of women are waiting to be the lightning bolt that is going to take a bad boy and turn him into, you know, Ryan Gosling in the notebook where his entire life is just dedicated to you. And um, yeah, I think modern psychology is starting to break us out of those ideas, but you know, it will never fully leave us in our sort of idealized stories. I don't think. All right. Fair enough. That is funny. What a double fantasy that is though. I, I really, when Ron was talking about it, I was like, yeah, there's all these dude screenwriters who are just like, I could be a schlubby piece of shit because that's my life. I wear the mm-hmm. same cardigan every day. I got scuffed not up even, shoes, but I make millions schlubby. of dollars. But like, but that, dude, some of these fucking, some writer dudes with hot ass, tall ass, 15 foot tall girlfriends are the scrubbiest, ugliest looking fucks no, in the universe. I've seen them in Hollywood parties. When you go to a Hollywood party, just look where the t- look where, look for where the tall bitches are. That is where the seat of power is in that room. You go <laughs> go over to all the goddamn volleyball player looking broads. You will find little ugly fucks around them that run the world. And I think that a lot of these guys came up writing and they've lived that life a little bit. So they write it in all this stuff, all these ugly husband TV shows, all this. But they write it into this world. They, they make it exist for the common man just because it exists for them. You know what I'm saying? It's it's different being an ugly fuck to Mac an 18 foot tall girl when you got a Maserati. It's a whole different fucking thing. Or when you just came out of Dartmouth and you're already on Conan staff or whatever mm-hmm. these guys' life experience is. It's a lot easier to mag that chick down. But they put it on these guys who have like an extensive bong collection and are trying to do a fucking Mr. Skin website or something. It's like those dudes wouldn't get that girl in particular. But anyway, the, all that all that said. It's a dual fantasy because chicks do kind of sometimes be like, I just want to take him. this guy and just this monster. A lot of times it's a monster or a lot of times it's a piece of shit. But either way, they want to shave it down, make it into an ashtray or something useful. And it's like that's their victory. That's their war. You know what I'm saying? Look, I, I think When Harry Met Sally is a phenomenal movie with a lot of nuance in the screenplay. But if you look at the broad strokes of that, and that's a movie that's written by a woman, Harry in that movie is essentially a player who can't commit to anyone until, even against his own wishes, he's so bowled over by the intimacy of his relationship with Sally that he realizes... 
I want to spend the rest of my life with you, as Billy Crystal says. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that is the fantasy, right? Like a guy who is so ardently against commitment and against monogamy and like is a free spirit at heart and just likes to fuck. But when he meets you, all that changes. Mm-hmm. And like, dude, as a dude, I'd like to think that way about women. Like, I'd like to find some fucking super hot chick who's like out there cynically whoring about, but it's like when she meets me, well, now it's time to fucking settle down because I'm the fucking best. You know what I mean? Like, that's a great, that's a great fantasy. And that's why I say, like, I just don't, I don't know that that will ever leave us because it, no, it's Mm. sort of the ultimate fantasy. Like, I'm so great by just being me that I tame (laughs) this wild stallion. I show up and the wild stallion bows to my presence is ultimately Mm -hmm. what it is. Because when Ed would be (laughs) saying this, he really pictured schlubby guys getting with hot girls. That is not what I was talking about. I was talking about hot assholes being assholes and then getting a cool girl. That's what I was actually talking about. But I I love that you were, but you were also right, by the way, because that's the other story. They're both dumb. Well, but also, I mean, but that's the thing, like Bill was saying, though, like Billy Crystal, if I may be very frank, you may Billy Crystal is a it was is a great actor and comedic performer. Sure. Um, He and he was perfect for that movie. Nobody could have done it better. However, for the story to actually make sense, logically, he'd have to be hotter. He'd have to be like Christian Bale or something. Yeah. Because like he was bang, just banging hoes, doing this thing, being an ad executive, soulless, white man's overbite, you know, dancing. You know what I'm saying? He's just he had just a, just enough soul to maybe get a girl, you, yeah. you know. But I'm just I'm saying like you. like that that world exists. It's called the real world. In the yeah. real world, chicks will look at a beautiful man and go. They'll like it's like when you're putting your handholds in a sheer rock face to try to climb it. You just find these little tiny indents. They'll find a little indent of decency, a little indent of give a fuck about his mom, a little indent of oh, it's sense of humor, even though most of his jokes are at my expense. And they'll climb that sheer face and try to conquer that mountain. And pull yourself up on that dick. <laughs> That's right. I'm That's gonna tell what you guys something that's real real mad. If they remade When Harry Met Sally, or if they just made a different version of When Harry Met Sally today, you want to know who would play Billy Crystal? Mm. Ryan Reynolds. Oh. oh. I know. I know. It makes you I mean, angry yeah. right now, but he that's who would play him. He's played I mean, a great player before, too. I've seen him yeah. in a movie as a player. I don't even remember what the movie was, but he was great at it. <laughs> he, like, yeah. banged it. He banged, like, uh, some great actor. Steve Carell. He banged Steve Carell's daughter in a movie no 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 you're thinking of gosling that oh, was gosling. what did i say gosling. reynolds ah well yeah reynolds has his his fair share of rom-coms i want he gosling does, yeah. to be in another one yeah 100%. ariel's favorite movie one of ariel's favorite movies is just friends a movie where he oh plays he plays a fat guy <laughs> and the, wait 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 that's the that's the actually, girl shallow Hal. it it is he's fat yes. at the beginning he gets picked on a bunch He's about to confess his love to the girl that he's been best friends with for years that's basically put him in the friend zone, but maybe didn't, maybe not. Who knows? Because he's going to go get revenge. He leaves. He goes to Hollywood, becomes very hot with abs and successful and rich. And then he has to go back to his hometown and he sees the the old crush he has and uh, acts like a total jackass 
and uh, gets her in the end, even though he was a total jackass the whole time. <laughs> um, to be clear, it's actually a pretty fun and funny movie, uh, and I get why she likes it, but it is part of the tropes that I don't like because in that movie, he says and does some of the most dishonest and shitty things on the planet and does not deserve to be with any girl ever. Hey, man, how about Robin Williams and Mrs. Doubtfire? Right? <laughs> Committing hey. fucking crimes? Okay, hold on, hold on. Oh, the doors got kicked in. Uh, I think I'm being swatted. No, it's the white devil's advocate. He's eight foot tall. He's got a, he's got a fucking American flag do-rag on. He's like, now, goddammit, brothers, you pussy leftist. You can't, you, you can't leave well enough alone. Everybody knows you got to trick women to a certain extent. All right, I'm gone. I just Look, we all know <laughs> Stanley Field was the real villain of that fucking movie. We all know. Clearly, clearly. <laughs> oh, God. All these dudes defending uh, Jonah Hill probably didn't understand how she was setting boundaries. <laughs> you know, she was just, she was setting boundaries, dude. And he, and he was like, fuck the boundaries. I'm going to put on makeup. I'm going to go full tootsie on that ass <laughs> and get my kids to love me. But yeah, to be so- clear, I laughed my ass off and loved that movie when Phenomenal I was a youngster. Movie. But yeah, yeah but and, but really, really quickly in closing, I just got to wrap it up with people's fans thing again. Sure. Please, can we start making these movies again? There was some minor controversy about um, what was that hard feelings, hard knocks, whatever no the one with feelings. Jennifer Lawrence, no hard feelings, where it's like she was like he was young or like 18 or something. And she was like going to teach him about some sex stuff or whatever. And it's like, Oh, that's, you know, people like to use the G word and all this like oh weird God. Hollywood, you know, weird conspiracy theory bullshit. And it's like, come on, man. If you, <laughs> I'm just going to just spit a truth bomb here. You're 17 years old. Your dick is hard. 24 seven. If a oh, yeah. 24 year old or 19 year old or whatever the fuck bitch came up to you, was introducing you to any fucking thing. It'd be the greatest fucking week of your life. So stop with the bullshit. Like I, I, there's kids and there's, there's, there's teenagers who want to bang. So like, even if they don't bang and you keep it chased, they want to, that's been a fertile thing for movies since, you know, forever. I, I, there was a scene from a, a league of their own. Okay. And remember Gina Davis is in the car. This little kid drives her home from some fucked up date she was on. And he's like, Hey baby, why don't we get in the back and fool around? And she goes, how about I just smack you around? And he's like, can't we do both? <laughs> nice. kids like 15 or something but he had so much risk and he's talking to this old lady nothing's gonna happen but even that joke would be excised from a movie now because everybody's being pusillanimous and i just don't understand dude we got to get back to some some grimy shit i love these nasty mouth 13 year old kids saying nasty words movies that they're putting out a lot of times seth rogan's involved i love that we got to go back to the 80s where kids were calling dude. each other cocksuckers and shit because that shit is real I, jesus 100%. christ I, listen, I loved licorice pizza for the romance between the 15-year-old guy and the 20-year-old chick. And the fact that, like, I, I I thought that was awesome. And I know that that movie didn't really generate controversy, probably because it, it wasn't a huge success at the box office. But, like, movies need to be able to, like, explore those boundaries. Like, Even if it's wrong, it's in a movie that, again, like I said earlier, it doesn't – I personally didn't like Licorice Pizza because I thought it was boring, but I that was the part that I – and I felt like that one part with the guy doing like the Asian thing, I did feel like that was like kind of racist for no reason. He didn't have any repercussions. It wasn't part of the story. But other than that, mm-hmm. I felt like that whole romance jizz – jizz. <laughs> it's in Star Wars. All that romance jazz – 
while fucked up and maybe a bit groomery, that chick, as depicted in the movie, was hardly mentally really of her own age. She was fucked up, and that kid already had several businesses. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's like almost like how you can't meet a chick at work anymore because there's a, a, a fucked up power imbalance. There are 60 year old women sitting on their ass right now after happy marriages. They're sitting in mid century modern palaces because they were part of the fucking typing pool and they met an executive one day. You want to take these chicks' fucking livelihood away retroactively because of some perceived now political problem with these relationships? And everybody knows dudes ain't mature. If you see a 50-year-old dude with a 30-year-old bitch, you need to shut the fuck up, frankly. Mm-hmm. You need to shut the fuck up, <laughs> for real. Listen, I think the takeaway here is we need more racism, sexism, and age-inappropriate relationships in movies. And yeah, I'm kind of yeah. not joking. <laughs> Even to explore them as concepts. Be yes. like, okay, If they're wrong and bad, don't act like they don't exist. And don't yes. act like there isn't any story structure that would be worth having us explore those things. Well, yeah. I, and I think, I mean, I think look, we don't have control over people who watch Lolita and take the wrong thing away. Well, that's kind of what yeah. I mean. It's, yeah, like, yeah. it's, we it's don't, worth we, exploring yeah, it's like, the fact that there are gray areas in everything. And as long as the movie is not like, oh, yeah, Humbert Humbert and Lolita, nothing wrong with that guy. Perfect. Like, yeah. You know Aces. what I mean? Mm. Yeah. And that's <laughs> certainly not what the movie does. No. 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 Like, yeah, why not tell that story? Yeah. No, I agree that we, we do need to be able to tell stories that are – uh, hard to tell, hard to talk about. Um, like, look, I don't like uh, all of this. The 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 what is the name of the movie with the talking about the the child kidnapping stuff that oh, just came out? Sound of Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom. Like, I I don't like uh, the guy who made it, and I don't like how he portrays everything uh, as if like every kid who's kidnapped is kidnapped by some weird sexual predators who. Uh, believe in adrenochrome or some shit but um uh but it there's nothing wrong with talking about the fact that there is a very small percentage of people who are you know trafficked in scary situations we got to be able to talk about this stuff and yeah. i would love if people told did made better movies uh than sound of freedom and <laughs> well but and, sound of uh if i can, if i may for a second because yeah. uh it's, it's I, an okay movie by the way well i i haven't oh, yes, seen I, it that's nice but the the bigger issue with that, so the guy whose life, whose quote unquote life that Jim Caviezel's character is quote unquote based on, yeah. I know that guy. I really? actually developed a show with that guy probably circa 2015 or so. That guy sucks. And this whole idea. No, let me tell you exactly. <laughs> this is great. Let me share this for the podcast. And I hope you people who are listening to this share that with some people, you know. Because the way I got I, I got in touch with that guy. So we had this dude bring to my company a reality show concept about a lost civilization in America. And the whole idea goes back to some very racist ideas, if you trace their lineage, about like, in prehistory, there were these crazy, technically advanced civilizations. You you hear a lot about this as part of ancient aliens. Yeah. But ultimately, it's a racist idea that came about in the 1800s to sort of justify manifest destiny. 
that, mm. oh, no, no, in the Americas, it, in fact, what they explicitly said was the, I don't remember if it was the ninth or the 12th, but sort of this one uncounted lost tribe of Israel that the Bible, you know, when, I think when the Tower of Babel fell and the people were scattered, there was a tribe that was never mentioned again in the Bible. And so <laughs> you use this to essentially say that like there were Israelites in the Americas and all of the native Americans are actually oh. descended from this tribe of Israelites. Right. <laughs> so it, it was essentially these racist zealots trying to do this, this show. But so they put me in touch with Tim pool and Tim pool at the time was fucking trying to ride that train he was trying to say, <laughs> I'm a fucking Indiana Jones guy, and I've discovered all this proof about this lost civilization in America, and <laughs> let me tell you about it. I can't show you, but if we do the show, I'm going to be able to take you through it because it's indisputably true. And so I was like, you know what? I don't think we're going to do this show. But that dude is just a fucking huckster. So like, He's a right-wing white supremacist huckster, which a lot of the uh, accusations from the left against him have been based around. I'm just telling you, I saw it in action. This is a guy who comes from a white supremacist military background who is very invested in these ideas of quote-unquote Western culture being the superior culture. We have to, de we have to defend quote-unquote Western culture at all costs. And, and he will then sell himself as some sort of freedom fighter for that cause. And I don't even know that he actually would, you know, uh, uh, go to like, a, you know, a Nazi rally or something. But all of the ideas in his head have been filtered through that lens. And you mix that with a heaping helping of narcissism. And he just makes shit up to make him feel like he's on the front lines of this fucking shit. So that even that changes it even more than I already had an opinion about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, my, for for all intents and purposes, I have not seen that movie. But from what I understand, the movie itself, like the biggest sin it commits, is sort of perpetuating this idea that for some reason Mexican cartels are in the kidnapping white children business as much as yeah. they are in the drug trafficking business. Yeah, um, which they're which, not. Which is not true. Um, but otherwise doesn't get into some of the more problematic aspects of Tim pool and, and his work, but yeah, that guy's a piece of shit. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's just, just such a headliner. A, it's, a, just, yeah, that's perfect. Uh, I'm going to clip this. This is going to be used for a TikTok. <laughs> I'm putting it out there if that's okay with you, Bill. Please, please put it out there. I'd like that to be out there. Yeah. Cause fuck that guy. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, uh, at the same time, I do think we should be allowed to talk about taboo subjects and walk a line so that those subjects get brought up so that real stuff does get talked about. Because, you know, 90 percent of uh, kids who are trafficked are actually trafficked by family members yeah, uh, people that and, they know. And, and 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 that's the thing that should be talked about. And if it brings up a subject of, hey, let's let's watch out for family members still in your goddamn kids then I'm cool with it. Oh, shit, wait a minute. Somebody's breaking through the wall again. I, motherfucker, you uh, know why we're not doing that goddamn movie. Goddamn, I'm going to adjust my do-rag and put my, put my sunglasses on the back of my head. Hold on. <laughs> now look, motherfuckers. Goddamn. I, I, you got to understand, 
I'm, we're selling low key racism. Bill had right. it right. We're selling a little bit of racism makes the trafficking go down. All right, yeah. bye. And then <laughs> jumps out the window. Uh, dude, my wall is broken. My ceiling's broken, and my window's fucked up. I don't know who's going to pay for this. The white guess, devil you know. advocate just keeps jumping in there. I can't believe. No, I mean, white, I can't believe the Kool Aid Man is a white guy. <laughs> dude, but like real realistically, that whole. The, the soft peddling of this sort of like, yeah, the, the Mexicans are stealing your white children is yeah. the important part of that to those people. It right. isn't about who's actually trafficking because that never was the real story. Just like, I mean, when they do these these shows about like, do the show about the teacher from the inner city who got straight rocked at her fucking face one day and still took her ass back to work. And help those fucking loser kids. You know what I'm saying? And like, like they never do that. It's always like, oh, we're dancing and we're listening to records and you know, blah blah. It's like the realism of what people have to go to to help people. I guess they don't think it's dramatic or cool. And there's not enough beautiful looking white dudes involved. I guess. You know what I'm saying? Which is like what you need to have to have a movie. I guarantee you, if a motherfucker went to Guadalajara and saved a bunch of child slaves. And he was a dark ass Mexican dude. They find a way to make it Pedro Pascal. If that, you know what I'm saying? They wouldn't have a four foot, a four foot nine, but buff as hell Mexican dude be the lead. They wouldn't right. do it, even right. though that would be the story. And he's be a fucking great hero and be great representation. They'd find a way to make him Ben Affleck or something, because that's what they do. And and I think that that's kind of interesting that we're headlining uh, our episode about pet peeves with some of this real shit. We started out with some like little oh uh, CGI, but we get to the real shit that really makes movies start to suck, and really is part of even when you look at the whole AI situation I brought up. AI does shit like that too. AI is pretty racist right now. It's sure. not artificial intelligence. It's just whatever. Um, you probably Which, define it better, but like it, it's way, racist uh, because it has all these media representations to pull from it has all this bullshit to pull from and it makes it you know when they, when you ask it to improve your photo it makes you more light-skinned if you do want to hear some of our thoughts about the nature of ai and what's going on right now the episode um is ai the greatest threat to humankind ed and i get into that pretty deeply but uh but yeah i mean that's a nuanced topic for sure yeah so you know uh you can check out all of our super nuanced uh, topics on patreon.com slash the greatest pod. Uh, that's where you can support us financially. Uh, if you don't want to throw us some ducats, what can they do, Ed? Well, you know, uh, wait. oh, he's busted through. Hey, brothers. All right. I've had a political awakening. I'm not the white devil's advocate. I'm the greatest pod advocate, brothers. And uh, let me tell you something. So let me tell you something, mean gene. Uh, this <laughs> fucking program here deserves your five star ratings. That's five stars, right? It's not four. Four, yeah, five four stars. Okay, five stars. Five star. <laughs> five star ratings. Just that. That's it, baby. And uh, oh, you don't. You don't have a. You don't have an Apple account. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> Sign up for one and leave a fucking review. I real. Uh, all right, thank you. Uh, I really do think. Yeah, people leaving reviews is a great thing for us because number one, we read them on air, and number two, they do help us to rise in the charts, and they also help people to understand what the show is. When you see the greatest pod, what are these guys talking about? The greatest pod. When you read the reviews, you understand how we attack things and why we do what we do and where we're coming from. And I think that's really cool. So all you people who have been loyal for years, thank you very much. The people that have just joined the Patreon, thank you guys very much for jumping on the train. You can do another thing too. And that's uh, tell, uh, tell all your friends about us. Like literally just share 
ideas, talk about this stuff. If something comes up in a conversation you're having with your other nerd buddies, just mention, oh, yeah, I, I have my friends over at the uh, Greatest Pod talk about that. And you guys should check out the podcast because that really helps us uh, grow as well. So, Oh, and you could also uh, tell them about Rebooted, I guess, because uh, we're going to put Greatest Pod episodes on Rebooted. Yep. And I do want you guys to check out when we talk about the future of Hollywood, we inevitably run into things that people have done that we did on Reboot It. So when you look at the future of what Hollywood is going to do, when you watch Reboot It, you do see that. And I take we take a lot of pride in that. So like Reboot It on YouTube is definitely a part of the Greatest Pod family. And I would love for you guys who, who support this, but not that, to go to rectify that expeditiously. Yeah, so uh, with that being said, uh, you know, Bill, you started us off. How about you end us off? Well, thank you for listening to an annoying, irritating, grating, perhaps, perhaps even slightly enraging episode of The Greatest 